Welcome to Friday. Welcome to Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. So good to have you along today. This is the part of the week, and it conveniently comes at the end of the week. I think that's I think that's wise because we want to know what happened the week gone by and what it all means. And to do that together, we invite some of our favorite journalists from around the region and around the state. And we uh, when we put them up on 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 the internet, you know, you can watch the show on uh, YouTube or Facebook. You just search KOW Public Radio. Uh, I think uh, Anna King and Jane Hu seem to be in their home, and Jazz Kaimig. I like to imagine that you're in front of a giant mural that you personally painted. Yes, it is <laughs> groovy. Welcome. Hi, Bill. How are you? I'm good. It's good. Good to see all of you. So that's the stranger staff writer, Jazz Kaimig, and uh, Northwest News Network and KUOW correspondent, Anna King. Anna, you got your first big freeze this week uh, in, in the Richland area, I understand. Yeah, my husband has been digging his sweet potatoes like mad. And since he's a scientist, he weighs each plant and, and, and the yield he's gotten off of each plant. So it's, it's pretty crazy over here in my crawl space. Can you tell, can you tell anything about the yield yet? Because all year we've been talking about the yield because of the heat dome and the, you know, and the fires and the smoke and the rain. What is it, how are the sweet potatoes? Uh, you know, he got several pounds off of one plant. So uh, I think that his mulching method is working and uh, he was doing okay. Uh, but, you know, uh, for other potatoes and throughout the Northwest, maybe we'll talk a little bit about this later. Um, it's a little bit dicey. Yeah, I think we're going to dice some uh, some potatoes and onions for Thanksgiving a little bit later in the show. And we also have freelance science reporter Jane C. Hu. Jane, it's great to see you again. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back. What's new with you? What's what, are you painting giant murals like jazz or pulling sweet potatoes? <laughs> Actually, what's uh, for folks who are looking at the live stream, I have uh, dabbled in painting over the course of the pandemic. I'm terrible, but it is fun. So, is, is that your work behind you? That's right. Yep. Oh well, it's it's small on my screen, but it looks lovely. Thanks. I try to use lots of colors, so that's hopefully all you can see. Well, thanks to all of my journalists panel for being here for Week in Review. And let's begin, of course, with this week's weather. Heavy, heavy rain for days and mudslides and floods, washed out roads. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Just water everywhere. <laughs> Massive water. Massive water. And at least she can laugh. That's Diana Boyce in Mount Vernon, where they've got a new flood wall in town. East of there, though, in Hamilton, that whole town was evacuated as it has been in years past. This is Fire Department Duty Officer Mark Adams. My day's been like holy heck, um, but even worse on all the residents here. As the town was completely evacuated, and now they're trying to get back in town. We can't let them get back in town at this moment because we haven't inspected everything. Yeah, you can get electrocuted by fallen power lines. The Lummi Reservation was cut off by flooded roads. Tribal Chair William Jones Jr. says health care workers living in Bellingham couldn't get to work at the reservation's medical clinic, so the tribe had to ferry them across Bellingham Bay. Our police boat went and picked up our doctors and nurses and brought them out to our Lemmy Clinic so we could continue the service and our people out here. We're right in the middle of the pandemic here. and We're right in the middle of flu season and cold season. We have a lot of sick children and our elders that we have to take care of. The Macaw Reservation on the northwest tip of the Olympic Peninsula got cut off, so there's a gas and grocery shortage there. Uh, amazing photos of a big landslide on the washed-out highway. British Columbia is under a state of emergency. Parts of Vancouver cut off from the rest of Canada. The premier there called it a 500-years event. 
The border town of Sumas, Washington, was underwater. I could go on, science reporter Jane Hu, and we often, you know, I think we sometimes associate climate change with drought. Does climate change play a role in these heavy rains? Yeah, so I know that scientists are starting to talk about uh, the climate emergency. Um, and the part of this change is that we're going to get more extreme weather of all kinds. So that also includes heavy rains. Is that why is that? Does that have to do with the with the warmth at all? I am not exact. I'm not an expert in how all of these atmospheric sciences interact. Um, But I do think that it's worth noting that we have had several extreme events over the last year. Right. Um, Mm. And I think that even if uh, we're thinking about how these things are connected to each other, um, the fact that we had that big drought, like that big heat wave really primed the land um, to be drier and for these landslides to happen. Yeah, I heard KUOW's John Ryan telling us how warmer weather can gen- can can hold more water. Uh, so either way, Jazz, you're, are you are you getting ready? You're a you're a, a younger reporter than I am, getting ready to do a, a more flood reporting for the rest of your life here. You know, uh, potentially, right? Um, it's interesting to that you know um, in introducing this topic, you talked about how you know Canada was saying this is a 500 year event. Um, you know, I've heard it referred to as being a kind of once in a century type of event, but I think that, you know, while that might hold true for the 20th century, for the 21st, I think that this is going to be something that we're going to see you know, over and over again, right? Like we got 12 inches of snow in February, it's a hundred degrees, uh, days, like several hundred degree days in the summer had one of the rainiest Novembers on record. You know, I'm from this area. I grew up here and it's been wild to see these types of, uh, you know, peaks and valleys when it comes to our weather system. So uh, yeah, I'm actually gonna have to invest in buying uh, some rain gear, <laughs> you know, that I haven't uh, in the 20 years that I've lived here, so. Right, right. And Anna King, you, in your reporting, you have linked wildfires and floods and landslides. Yeah, you know, when the earth is scorched in these large, large fires, uh, the the p- top crust of the land can kind of actually be crusted over. And so the rain sheds off of that, creating more and more water to inundate areas below it. And um, when there's no foliage and, and other things that act like a sponge and there's no root systems to hold this water back, it can become really devastating. As I saw up in the Metau Valley up in, in the mid 2000 and, uh, uh, you know, around 15, 14, in that area of time, I was up and actually experienced one of these large landslide flood events And, uh, you know, watching the devastation after that happened was just, it was just terrible. There was a young couple in a yurt that I uh, saw their yurt was totally uh, encapsulated, you know, around it was all this mud and and dirty water. And it was really incredible to see that. And the take home is, you know, if you're around this flood water, you really got to watch and you've really got to be cognizant of these landslide prone areas after wildfires if you live in those areas has uh, has your side of the cascades gotten a giant dump of rain like we have on the west side here this last uh, week and weeks some areas in the cascade range have gotten some water uh, and, and some good precipitation 
Um, but, you know, as you come east towards the mid-Columbia, where, where I live, towards the Tri-Cities, up north of us in Connell, Spokane area, um, we just haven't seen as much precipitation. And in fact, I was talking to one of my uh, farmer sources just a, a day or so ago, and he said, yeah, you know, Anna, we've got a, an inch and a little bit, uh, you know, and uh, that's just not enough to sustain crops like wheat that have been put into the ground and uh, they're coming up out of the furrow, you know, they're several inches high, but to sustain that root system, they really need more rain than that. And uh, this is, you know, average rainfall, but we really need a lot to catch up from the drought. And it just seems like a traumatic time for, uh, I know Eastern Washington is too big to generalize about, but, and, and as you say, we'll talk a little about the, about this when we're talking Thanksgiving, uh, the Thanksgiving table, but just over and over again, we keep hearing about the agricultural impacts of the weather that we've been having. Yeah, um, this, this weather has not been kind to farmers in, in all types of crops, everything from uh, I, I think that the only crops that did exceedingly well that I heard was eggplant this this year. Oh, yeah? uh, the eggplant loved the heat and it didn't uh, suffer too badly from the heat event. And uh, they got, you know, kind of uh, really uh, uplifted levels of eggplants on one farm, I know. But other than that, blueberries, oysters, uh, everything across uh, eastern Washington was just pummeled by that heat event and the drought and the dry conditions, even hay. We don't have enough hay in the whole nation for the cattle herd uh, of the U.S. right now because there's so much drought and there's not enough forage for those animals. So hay prices have gone really up in this uh, fall and winter time. Mm. Jazz or Jane, any more observations, experiences from all the the uh, the extreme weather, and especially this week, all the rainfall and and just washed out region. So one thing that I learned this week that was surprising to me was that uh, in the 1800s, the Sumas used to have a lake. Um, and colonists had come in and drained it just before 1900 after they had a really bad flood in 1896. And they just converted that whole area into farmland. And if you've ever driven through it, it kind of makes sense to you. Like it's all very flat. It's all just very fertile, lush farmland that very clearly used to be like a lake bed. Um, and apparently there was a 2019 report that found that that area could be flooded with as much of as three feet of water. And it's just really unfortunate that we saw the worst case scenario happen this week. Yeah, again, this is the town right at the border, the Canadian border uh, on the Washington state. Right. The border was closed up there and people, I was seeing video of people kayaking and you know boat rescues and all that kind of stuff, Sumas underwater. Yeah, and I, I found that note about eggplant thriving really interesting. Uh, and it, it makes me wonder if you know maybe Washingtonians will have to incorporate a little bit more eggplant into our diets. You know, whipping out an eggplant parmesan re recipe uh, to kind of adapt to the kind of changing conditions of agricultural conditions. That would disappoint I, me because I don't care for eggplant. Yes, Anna. <laughs> oh, I would say also in those agricultural rural areas, I was very concerned about the. Uh, livestock owners in that area, because when disaster happens, livestock get really nervous and they get harder to move 
uh, and they can get really stressed out after you move them. So uh, that can be very stressful on like livestock, like cattle or horses. They can get very sick after a movement under stress like that. We call it trailer shock sometimes. And um, I think that the, the, the script isn't written here about how this will ultimately affect all of that livestock uh, in that area because they could become sick even a week or two weeks after this. Hmm. How about the mint? Doesn't Washington State have a lot of mint? I think of mint as being okay with the dry. Mint is usually an irrigated crop in, in eastern Washington, hmm. uh, especially, and in eastern Oregon. So it usually does okay unless, like in the Yakima Valley, their uh, water rights are under proration. So, you know, if, if they don't have enough water for the irrigation, that could affect them. But usually mint is, is pretty okay in the heat. Although, you know, all leaves of any sort on plants can get scalded or can kind of get burnt if, it, if the temperatures are too high. We're talking about an excess of water this week, and that's Anna King, Northwest News Network and KUOW correspondent. We've got freelance science reporter Jane C. Hu here and the Stranger staff writer Jazz Kimbig. We are reviewing the week for you, letting you know what happened this week and figuring out what it means. And uh, we're online. We're streaming the show. We're on Facebook. You can just search KUOW Public Radio and watch as well as listen. And we're going to get back with the show in a moment, uh, a, a settlement and a retirement in a, a long time Washington State case that went up to the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll check in on Arlene's flowers and more as Week in Review continues. Don't go away. It's KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke with KOW board operator Bernard Wallet cooking up eggplant and mint recipes in the studio as he's listening. Something uh, we encourage you, you, Bill. We're going to convert you. <laughs> Just don't care for eggplant, but uh, but yeah, uh, I bet we can we can we can make it good here. In fact, we're going to be talking about uh, some Thanksgiving uh, food stuffs a little bit later in the show. Why are we talking about mint and eggplant? Well, because. Northwest News Network correspondent Anna King over in Richland uh, knows a thing or two about the state of agriculture there these days. And we've also got Stranger staff writer Jazz Kimig and freelance science reporter Jane C. Hu. And we're letting you know what happened this week and why. You can watch the show on YouTube or on Facebook when you search KOW Public Radio. This week, a Washington state florist whose case went to the U.S. Supreme Court reached a settlement with the same-sex couple whose wedding job she refused. And Anna King, again, this is your town. Arlene's Flowers is there in Richland. I, I, I assume you've interviewed uh, Baronel Stutzman more than once. I have. And, um, you know, I've also interviewed uh, the couple that wanted those wedding flowers, Rob Ingersoll and Kurt Freed. And, um, you know, it's been a, a drama that has just played out in, in different ways over these eight years uh, or more than eight years. And um, every twist and turn, uh, you know, I, I've had to jump on it and, and do those reports. And it's just it's just amazing to think that the story might be coming to a close now, at least the active part of the litigation. Anna, for those who haven't followed the story and maybe new to Washington or not, will you remind us what happened between and these, these uh, Stutzman and this couple? They were friends. 
Yeah, you know, I, I talked to uh, the uh, couple, uh, Kurt and Rob, last night, uh, pretty late, and I, I just was asking them how it originally happened, and, you know, they said Rob went into the, to the florist that they had always used, and he just wanted her to do these beautiful wedding flowers for their wedding, for their ninth anniversary, uh, they were going to get married, and um it just really was upsetting to them that that she would not do that based on um, you know their their same sex marriage and and on her on what she says was her religious beliefs and so um, you know I was asking them a little more deeply about the flowers and what they mean in their relationship and I thought that was really interesting. Uh, it, it turns out that Rob gives Kurt the flowers more often than Kurt gives Rob the flowers and uh, that they they both enjoy the flowers. They used to both buy flowers, but then it was like too many flowers in their house all the time. So they decided that it would just be better if, if Rob mostly bought the flowers. And I just think those little intimate details of a relationship are really um, fun to know about just you know, my husband puts flowers in my bathroom. It's a safe space. Like he always <laughs> knows that it's always going to be a good thing if he puts flowers anywhere in the house. And and flowers mean a lot. They're a love language for many couples. And this is just interesting that it, it all comes down to $5,000. I mean, eight years of pain and, and emotion all comes down to a $5,000 settlement. And um, they're also going to, the couple is also going to uh, go ahead and match that, that donation and give all the money to the PFLAG uh, group in the Tri-Cities in Benton and Franklin counties. And um, I spoke to the head of that group last night as well. And um, they said that they were really excited to give this money uh, in part to people who are transitioning in their lives. And that maybe if, if you were uh, born uh, or, or, you know, started a life as a, as a male and you wanted to transition to female, that you might have the wrong deodorant, you might not have makeup, you might not have the, white, the right wardrobe to continue life as, as you wished. And so, uh, they were just really excited that this money might go into some shopping trips for, for people in the Tri-Cities to uh, kind of start their new life, initiate a new life. And um, I just think that that's really amazing. Um, also, I talked to Baronelle Stutzman, and she's not backing down off of her beliefs. I, I interviewed her yesterday as well, and, and she just basically said, uh, look, I still believe in religious freedom. I still believe in the constitution as she sees it. And she wants to continue to support other people who are fighting for, for that, uh, viewpoint. So okay. pretty emotional day. Yeah. Any other, uh, do either uh, Jane or Jazz have any questions for Anna about this, uh, famous Arlene's flowers case? Yeah, so I, I guess what what kind of happens next is the is someone going to take over this this floral shop or do you know what the next chapter is going to be? So it, it sounds as though our uh, Arlene's flowers will continue um, as a business, and that the employees under Baronel Stutzman 
will continue the business. How that exactly is going to be transferred, I don't know yet, but um, I'm sure that some of those details will come out as we do further reporting about this. Um, as far as the couple, Rob and Kurt, they're just really excited to kind of melt back into obscurity. They really are a private couple. They don't really like to be in the media. It's really uh, rare that they'll grant me an interview or anybody an interview. Mm -hmm. um, they have written some op-eds and they have done some communications, but they really are kind of guarded um, as far as like being out in the media. And um, so I just think it's really nice for them to possibly recapture some of their life. Um, they're very gracious to give me some interviews over the years. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, legally, Anna, what's been the upshot of this case? It, As you say, it's been around for almost a decade. It went to the Washington State Supreme Court, went it to the U.S. Supreme Court in some form. What's been the, the legal power when it comes to affecting people's lives, caterers and bakers and florists um, working same-sex weddings? As far as in Washington state, we have some very strong anti-discrimination laws. And just like you can't be discriminate, discriminated against for the color of your skin or your, um, you can't be discriminated against for, um, you know, these reasons. And so, uh, I think that the U.S. has yet to, the U, the top court of the U.S., the U.S. Supreme Court, has yet to really put a fine line on this. Uh, they've kind of put it back to the states always. Mm -hmm. But there is a case that is coming uh, before this, the Supreme Court, or at least is, um, you know, under review. And so depending on how they rule on that case, there could be possibly uh, more uh, distinction uh, across the United States. But as far as Washington's concerned, they're very bullish, very aggressive on this, uh, that there should not be discrimination in businesses. That's Anna King of Northwest News Network telling you about uh, this week's settlement. Uh, just $5,000 after all of that, this Washington State uh, florist uh, giving money to this same-sex same couple and then announcing uh, she is done. She's retiring from the from the floral industry. Uh, so we'll see what comes of that and to that case headed to the U.S. Supreme Court. I think it's Colorado. Isn't that right, Anna? Yes. Uh, okay, this is Week in Review on KUOW. Again, we've also got Jazz Kymig and, uh, and Jane C. Hu, and I'm Bill Radke. Uh, letting you know what happened this week. For example, booster shots for all. The FDA just approved giving the booster to everybody, not just the older and more vulnerable. Now it's going to be up to the CDC, and they might okay this as soon as today, uh, Friday, as we talk. So we'll see about that. And, uh, Jazz, this is something that other states have been doing anyway without federal approval, right? Yeah. Um, so before this this news came out, I think this morning, uh a wide variety of states had, you know, just kind of bypassed uh, the FDA guidelines and and authorized uh, giving booster shots to fully vaccinated adults. Places like Colorado, New Mexico, Arkansas, Kansas, 
Rhode Island, Louisiana. So a really big mix of like states politically um, and, you know, geographically. And I think that kind of really speaks to, um, you know, concerns of surges that are happening, particularly in the Midwest and on the East Coast. Uh, and especially at this time, this holiday season where people are, you know, kind of finally coming together and in ways that we thought would be, you know, more safe now, but we're seeing these kind of rises in cases. So um, I think that um, the state's kind of already getting out ahead of the federal government on that speaks to uh, people who are vaccinated already being really anxious to, to get that booster shot. So, uh, and I think especially here in the Puget Sound region, you know, I, I know that we've talked uh, on the show a lot about how Seattleites uh, definitely, you know, take a lot of pride in being one of the most vaccinated cities in the United States. So I don't really think that there's going to be too much of uh, trying to twist people's arm to, to get that second booster shot or that third booster shot. Uh, or the first booster shot. Sorry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I got yeah, you. Not, not quite on the third. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I think it'll definitely be something that people are going to be lining up to do and already are lining up to do. And our science reporter, Jane, who were, were vaccine administrators here checking eligibility anyway? From what I hear, no. Um, and if you remember getting the first round of shots, you probably remember that they also weren't checking then because logistically that's just really challenging. Um, and Washington has, like many states, just been on an honor system. Um, and I think, at least anecdotally, I've heard from a lot of folks that they're not quite sure if they're eligible, but they've just gone and gotten it if they feel like they're in a situation where it makes sense um, to be vaccinated, um, to be triple vaccinated, that is. Yeah. I, yeah, I was having a conversation about this and uh, with a friend of mine who had gotten the booster shot. And I said, well, why? You know, the, you're, he's not old enough. He doesn't uh, doesn't have a health condition that I knew about. And uh, but we're close enough for me to say, what? why did you get the booster? And his, he said, well, apparently I'm an essential worker. I had to go back to the office and, you know, and, and the more people who get the shot, the better. And uh, and he was saying, didn't your lung collapse? Like he knew that my lung had collapsed, I don't know, 35 years ago. Uh, he said, that's an underlying condition. Go get the booster. <laughs> and I looked at the website and it's, you know, and it had a list of underlying condition, even lung related underlying conditions. And I didn't see mine on the list. So I just sort of quietly fold my hands and wait. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's difficult. I think I've heard a lot of people waffling about, um, you know, if they feel like they should go get a booster if they're not yet technically eligible. Um, and I do think that, you know, seeing more info from the CDC soon um, will help folks feel more justified in seeking it out if they want to. Um, but I, it's difficult because I think some of the data has been um, interesting. So we know that um, the booster does not necessarily help with um, cases where people are hospitalized or actually die. So it turns out our original vaccination is still really good at that. But what it does help, of course, is um, actually getting a case of COVID period, even asymptomatic cases, um, which is great. Obviously, that is something we all <laughs> probably want is to not get sick and hopefully to decrease the chances of spreading to other folks. Um, but it seems like really the, the challenge remains getting as many people vaccinated at all um, as possible. Mm -hmm. It seems like it will make a much bigger difference if we get unvaccinated folks vaccinated. Anna, do you think the booster approval will change the mood at all on your side of the state in, in eastern Washington when it comes to getting the vaccine? 
You know, I think the people that have already gotten their shots are very likely to go ahead and get their booster, at least in my kind of social network that I that I operate in. But uh, a lot of my uh, close friends and family that are eligible for the booster have already gotten gone ahead and gotten it. And I know others are looking forward to it. Um, but I think it's also just it, it's just really hard Um there's a lot of people here that are, are against the vaccine, who do not feel safe with the vaccine, and uh, who are actually fighting their employers to not get the vaccine. Uh, several groups of workers from the Hanford Nuclear Reservation and from the Pacific Northwest National Lab are uh, in lawsuits now against their employers uh, saying, hey, we don't need the vax, we don't want the vax, we already had COVID and we have natural immunity through that uh, in some cases and uh, don't don't push it on us. And so uh, we have had uh, higher levels of COVID here in Southeast Washington than other parts of the state uh, in part because of, uh, you know, uh, more people who are, are not vaccinated. My husband, by the way, is getting his booster today, later this afternoon, about 3 p.m. I expect he'll uh, have kind of a man cold about it and uh, possibly be, <laughs> off, be off a little bit uh, this weekend. But uh, uh, we're looking forward to having that protection in our household. You really need to take care of him and be just extra <laughs> indulgent this weekend, okay? <laughs> But we're not we're, when we're required to show proof that we're fully vaccinated in those places where we have to, to show the proof. Is that going to include having a booster if our second shot was more than six months ago? Do we know that how they're going to handle that? I've not Unknown. heard anything about that, but yeah. I also have heard actually some discussion around whether to keep calling uh, what we're talking about as a third shot or booster necessarily, because there's some speculation that we might see kind of a regular, even annual shot in the same way that we get a flu shot. Mm -hmm. um, so talking about being covered for, you know, after six months after your second shot, um, that might go out the window pretty quickly mm -hmm. as we get more guidance about what kinds of boosters we might need in the long run. I was wondering because, you know, people can be irrational. I'm irrational. And I could just imagine people who kind of s secretly wanted the vaccine, but they didn't appreciate being ordered to take the vaccine and everyone around them was against the mandates. And and but but some, but now that it's it's freely available to everyone and we're not yet checking for proof of that so-called third shot. I just wondered if people if if it might open up the idea of a shot. Well, I'm going to, so I'm going to get, it's like a booster that I don't have to take, but it's actually my first shot. And, and wondering if there's going to be any significant amount of that. I don't know. I did see that the Seattle school board asked the state to require school kids to be vaccinated once the vaccine gets full FDA approval for younger kids. Um, and that seems like a bit... <laughs> A, a bigger priority for Seattle than the than the rest of the state. Do does anyone think that's going to happen statewide? Well, I, I'm not quite sure. Um, 
But I know that, you know, there have been states that have made that a requirement. You know, in California, uh, Governor Newsom mandated the vaccine for middle and high schoolers. Mm-hmm. Um, and already there have been some protests by families in Southern California where uh, they've staged like massive school walkouts and, and major protests outside of the schools. So um, I I could see it potentially happening for Seattle. But um, yeah, I, I think I think it would be something that uh might might become a little slower on the state level. Oh. Okay, well, I'm also going to see if I can get a booster in me before Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't really know how long it takes for any booster immunity to kick in, but uh, I don't know. Two if weeks. Two weeks. Okay, well, so we got what until Thanksgiving? Less than that. Uh, well, almost, yeah, less more than like that. a week. More like a week. Okay. Uh, well, it'll just be, um, what's the word? Uh, not psychosomatic. You know, it'll be just atmospheric. Are you all, I wonder if you all are dealing with this, these questions of we're going to get together, how masked, how vaxxed, how tested, what kind of tests? I'm seeing, because I can see you on Facebook and YouTube as we're live streaming the show, mm-hmm. I can see nodding heads from everybody. Are you dealing with this? Yeah, uh, my family has a spreadsheet that I created now <laughs> of, uh, you know, like, are you in for Easter? Are you in for thing? Are you in for Christmas? Uh, uh-huh. We're filling out this Google sheet to try to <laughs> negotiate this. Uh, it, it gets pretty complex and uh, it gets really hard. My family, I have about 40, 45 members of, of, you know, really close knit on my mom's side. And so when we get together in one household, it's really raucous. That's not happening for Thanksgiving this year. We're all kind of going into uh, smaller groupings to try to keep each other safe. And uh, we're going to do a Thanksgiving Zoom to see what everybody's cooking. Uh, but it's just not the same as it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, my family is also going to keep it small this year. Um, we're all vaccinated. Uh, there's five other people in my family, so it's it not not super huge. Um, but I think it's more of a question of who's boosted and who's not boosted. Uh, I'm actually the only uh, boosted family member. <laughs> I got my booster earlier this month, uh, so I definitely feel a lot more like protection around you know my family, and we don't have anyone that's immunocompromised, which. Uh, would be like the kind of biggest factor. Um, And last year we didn't have this Thanksgiving just because, you know, it was the peak of the pandemic. Um, So uh, we're definitely keeping it much, much smaller than we normally would, I think. I am uh, originally from Kentucky and I'm not traveling for the holidays, but I did just get, you know, like the annual text thread of my high school friends talking about whether or not we should get together and friends giving the whole, like the full caveat of what their life situation is. Like <laughs> I'm triple vax, like <laughs> yeah. I mask everywhere I go, like at my job, this is what's going on. And it's just really interesting how much people are sharing with each other to make sure that we're all comfortable trying to get together. We need some shorthand around that. Like, so everyone knows exactly, yeah, I'm mask, vax, uh, non-booster non, <laughs> non bubble. Uh, <laughs> just lay it all out there. Yeah. PCR. Yeah, triple shot. Triple, triple shot. shot. Are you do is it are you doing uh, in my family we've had the the PCR versus home test. I ju- I had the I had the feeling that uh it was going to be jammed. I don't know if this is true to get into the the an appointment to get to roll up and get a PCR test so we're just doing home test which is inferior but we're going to do it closer to the day and all that. How are you guys science reporter Jane? How are you all handling that? Uh 
<laughs> you know, we're, I am still discussing with friends. I'm doing a Friendsgiving for Thanksgiving um, mm-hmm. and we're renting a house and just all hanging out and cooking together for the weekend. And there's been some talk of doing rapid tests or even PCRs. But I think as we get closer to the date, we're realizing everyone probably has that idea. Um, yeah. I did snag some of those rapid tests early on, like a couple months ago, knowing that for the holidays, they might come in handy. So that might be the route we go. Um but, you know, the folks that I'm doing Friendsgiving with, everyone has been very open about being fully vaxxed and what our usual lifestyle looks like in terms of, you know, not going out and getting crazy at bars, crowded bars. You think uh, they've been open, but how do you know whether they're being open? <laughs> no, it's true. You really don't. You don't. Um, but yeah, it's just, it feels weird to even be considering doing something like this because it's been so discouraged for the last couple of years. Um, but we're looking forward to you know, getting to spend some quality time together. Yeah. going to have to do some deep research on everybody's Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Many of us are science journalists. So I think it helps that all of us at least know the risks. So. Right. Yeah. A lot of trust. <laughs> yeah. And we haven't even talked about getting on a plane. That's a, a that's another level. Um, let's talk about Anna. You, you did a story about how the summer heat and the shipping crisis, the supply crisis, the mess is going to affect Thanksgiving. What did, what did you find out? Yeah. You know, um, we, it was just kind of this question, like what's on your table and, and how are you going to get it this year? And, uh, Ruby DeLuna and I, uh, KOW's Ruby DeLuna, mm-hmm. uh, dug into that. Uh, she tackled cranberries and, uh, and, uh, stores shelves in the Seattle area. And I tackled turkeys, onions, and potatoes. And uh, what we found out is that, you know, you probably are going to be able to get all the ingredients that go on your Thanksgiving meal. But uh, the the problem is that some of them are a little bit shorter in supply. You might have to have a brand that you're not used to or that you don't want. And you might have to pay some more for those items, particularly like potatoes and onions are both up about 30, 40 percent this year, which maybe, you know, you would say, oh, potatoes don't, you know, cost that much. But, you know, it's going to be a couple dollars in your pocket. Um, And uh, the potatoes and onions could get more crucial as the winter goes on. So for your Thanksgiving table, maybe you won't notice as much the problems, but uh, possibly by Christmas or Easter, uh, we might be seeing a little bit more of some problems for the holiday table. That's because a lot of potatoes and onions are in these huge storage sheds. If you go into Eastern Washington, you see them on the side of the road. They look like these football stadium kind of buildings or like a soccer stadium. And um, they're 30 feet high sometimes in some cases of potatoes or onions. And they're in these huge storage systems that have these massive fans and air air handling systems uh, to keep the airflow going in, in the buildings. And, um, those buildings could become rot zones really because the heat event damaged the plants under the ground. And so they're not sure how they're going to store this year. 
Uh, many onions have already turned up bad and uh, potatoes are a lot smaller than they usually are this year uh, or, or during uh, normal seasons. And so um, you will be able to find those smaller potatoes in bags uh, for about the same price as usual. But if you want a big baking potato for the prime rib that you're, uh, that you're planning for Thanksgiving, uh, you're going to have a harder time finding it and you're going to pay more. Yikes. I'll just have a banner over my, my Christmas gathering that says, Welcome to the Rot Zone. I like that. <laughs> That's a good phrase. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed that story, too. And uh, one, one little silver lining was that, well, first of all, I enjoyed your evoking the, the, the turkeys in the abattoir. Yeah, yes. yes. That was traumatic to report on, actually. Sorry. I, uh, I was up in the fog in Ellensburg and it was so foggy I could barely see the sides of the road and I was going up this gravel road and I, and I was trying to find this ranch and my Google Maps kept directing me like to go off the cliff and I was like no I'm not going that not way do that. but I but I just kept going I got to this farm and the, and it was like they had pitched it to me as kind of like well, we're, we're going to round the turkeys up. Well, they were planning a lot more than that that day. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I got out of the car and about seven of these large herd white dogs that are about chest high uh, surrounded me with low growls. And I was really freaked out. And then by the time I got to the turkey roundup, the turkeys were like in this trailer and uh, then they started dispatching the turkeys. And mm -hmm. I was not right. I was not ready for that. But um it, it does give give um, kind of a, a, a little bit of heart to all of these products that are on our table, all of these beautiful things that we lay before guests, cranberry sauce, the potatoes, the onions, the turkey, they all came from some sort of farm or, or purveyor that made that for you and, and all the hard work that comes all year long to make this meal possible. Yeah, I hope you're okay with that. And I, I, that, that wasn't the. I, I, I enjoyed the dose of reality that I, that you're referring to. That these all come from someplace. Uh, but the silver lining part was that the local wines, Washington wines, are actually okay for one thing because if a good wine isn't brand new and you're opening it from the before times, and it's going right. to taste okay. Right. You you will likely open a pre-pandemic wine uh, at your holiday table this year. Um, and I think what's fun about opening a bottle of wine at the table is it's like bottled summer, right? We're in the middle of uh, winter right now, but you're opening um, a, a harvest time, a, a, a summer joy you're uncorking. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that what's really interesting about wine is if you want to get a good wine, I would recommend shopping right now bringing that bottle home, laying it on its side and letting it rest unsettled for a while so that it kind of gets rid of the bottle shock uh, before you open it at your Thanksgiving table. Nice. Um, if you have something in the cellar, that's better yet. All right. From the rot zone to the bottle shock, that's Anna King, Northwest News Network and KUOW correspondent. We've got freelance science reporter Jane C. Hu with us and the stranger staff writer Jazz Kymig. We're going to take a short break on Week in Review and uh, wrap up as we tell you what happened this week and what it means. Stay tuned.
Support for K comes from King Conservation District, helping to empower residents to build a more climate-resilient King County by offering education, resources, and access to native plants for home and garden through their annual native plant event. More at kingcd.org. Helping build better ground. I'm Julian Marshall, host of BBC News Up. On today's programme, we have an exclusive BBC interview with the President of Belarus amid the continuing migrant crisis on the border with Poland. And Austria becomes the first European country to reimpose a full national COVID lockdown. BBC News Hour begins oh, just about 10 minutes from now, this afternoon at 1 o'clock on 94.9 KUOW. Support for KUOW comes from Live Nation, presenting Trevor Noah Back to Abnormal World Tour. Comedian and host of The Daily Show on Comedy Central, Trevor Noah, live on stage, Climate Pledge Arena, Friday, November 26th. Tickets available at Ticketmaster.com. You've got KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke with reporters Jane Hu and Anna King. And Jazz Kaimig, you wrote in The Stranger this week about the crocodile reopening. The crocodile uh, was a giant deal in Seattle when bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam were playing there early before the rest of the world knew about them. Uh, What's going on with the new crocodile? Yeah, so on December 1st, they're going to be opening in a new space that's uh, 30,000 square feet uh, big. Uh, There'll be multiple venues within the venue. So there's going to be a uh, 750-person capacity showroom, a 300-person venue, uh, a 100-person seat comedy club and movie theater, uh, as well as a daytime cafe, a restaurant bar, and a 17-room hotel, um, which is, you know, I don't know if you've been, I've assumed that you've visited the old crocodile. Oh, yes. Many times. Yeah. So it's like it's a really big, uh, big change and a really big jump. Uh, But I think it's also really important to kind of talk about uh, their reopening in the context of, you know, other music venues here in in the city. Uh, I think if you had talked to venue owners in April of 2020 or even in April of 2021, you know, there was a lot of fear that places like Numos and Clockout Lounge and Showbox may not make it through the pandemic, right? Uh, That they could shut down and close forever. Uh, But I think from the vantage point, point of November 2021, you know, uh, things have been, we've, we haven't lost as many music venues as we thought, right? That we, I think we lost uh, Rebar and Tula's, uh, but for the most part, uh, I feel like I can go and see shows kind of in the same way that I did before the pandemic. Uh, and in fact, I think we've even gained new places, like there's Supernova in Soto, uh, Cafe Racer moved from their uh, old digs in Roosevelt uh, over to Capitol Hill. Uh, we even have like a new music festival day in, day out, which happened earlier this summer. Uh, so I think Crocodile is, uh, they're, they're reopening as a part of this kind of greater uh, kind of rebirth of the Seattle music scene. And, you know, I think, um, there's a lot of nostalgia for like the nineties grunge, like puke on the bathroom floor, like tons of tall boys, you know, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of nostalgia for that. And I don't think that the crocodile is losing their kind of soul, but they're, they're getting this opportunity to have, uh, to be able to feature local artists in their smaller venue, right. And kind of get them developing and, and knowing how to play to an audience. And they also have like a really big showroom where, you know, big bands like Built to Spill can play two nights in a row. Um, so I, I think I'm really excited to see it. Uh, apparently there's going to be a, a crocodile skeleton replica hanging from the ceiling and tons of like natural <laughs> history stuff uh, kind of throughout the building. Uh, 
Uh, and I think they're not really implying reference. that Eddie Vedder is a dinosaur, are they? That's not. Uh, you know, uh, okay. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> you know, but uh, I think it's. I'm really excited to to see it and check it out and see what kind of programming they'll have. That's great. I am not a nostalgist myself. I'm not mm-hmm. one of the. You know, uh, I am old, but you know, <laughs> but but old Seattle is just old to me. You know, it doesn't have to stay. But I know that there will be people my age complaining that it's that the crocodile, you know, it's inauthentic. It's just it's not it's not it's not grungy. It's it's enough. It's not pukey. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's like thir- it's almost 30 years old. And yeah. as someone that's also almost 30 years old, you know, I kind of I did like being young and like 22 and, you know, being gross or whatever. But now it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm looking at really nice sheets. You know, and uh-huh. I want to install some shelves. And I feel like the crocodile, you know, must feel the same way. They want they want something nice, you know, and, and big and expansive. So leading um, into your 30s. Yes. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> All right. The crocodile gets nice things. Uh, that's good. Okay. Let's, um, we're, we're right at the end of our hour here on week in review. We always end with something to smile on. I will just say that this week, the four person group who was supposed to draw up our new congressional and state legislative districts blew it. They couldn't get it done by the deadline. And KOW's Kim Malcolm spoke to one of the four commission members, Paul Graves, who said, we worked all the way past midnight on the final night that we had to do it. Graves also thinks there are ways to avoid this problem in future by setting a deadline five days before maps are actually due. That is brilliant. It's like <laughs> I tell my kids it's dinner, ta- dinner time before the table is actually set because they're yeah. not going to wash their hands immediately. So thanks, Redistricting Commission, for that <laughs> excellent uh, fix. Anything else making you all smile this week? Um, I'm, this maybe won't make me smile, but Adele released her, uh, new album today. Uh-huh. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but you know, I haven't, I haven't been divorced. Uh, no one has <laughs> broken my heart recently, but I know after I finish listening to this record, I'm going to be like, you know, in a big cozy sweater, mm. you know, ruminating on all of the loves that I've had in my life and lost. Uh, so mm. I'm, I'm really ready for Adele to move me. Um, this weekend yeah what was the first big breakup song never mind i'll find someone like you oh my god that's a weeper and i and this and i know that was a long time ago but the critics are are loving on the new album too yeah it's definitely a a great era anna jane anything smile worthy uh for me with all of this rain uh one silver lining of that has been all of the dogs and raincoats so my (laughs) office window which is right over here faces my street and I watched this dog in a little raincoat like roll on the ground for like a full minute yesterday. And it's just been a real, real treat seeing their cute little clothes. That is good. Anna King. There are not dogs and raincoats in Eastern Washington. No. I'm going to say. No. <laughs> no. Not a rich no, I'm just kidding. I, I, uh, I think the thing that really is bringing me joy this morning are two things. Dungeness crab season opens up on December 1st. And so if you like crab, um, they're coming. And uh, the officials told me this morning that uh, it looks like a good season. The toxins are low. And so they they should be able to open up full swing December 1st. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that my 78-year-old dad almost every morning before like the light is is, uh, visible, just gives me this photo from his phone. Uh, he texts it to me and he's on top of a mountain. He goes with a headlamp and he goes like four miles uh, in, a, in a thousand feet of vertical um, every morning. And um, he's been doing this for over a decade. 
And it's just like the inertia, the, the chutzpah of, of doing that uh, in your later life that uh, it tells me like, I got to crack a lack because my mm. dad is out there getting it done in the dark with a headlamp in the middle of the mountains and the woods. Yeah. I want that. I want to be like your dad. That's beautiful. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's something to aspire to. Thank you for the smiles and, and thank you for the for the news and the reviews and helping us sort through it all this week. It's uh, It's been great to be with Anna King, Northwest News Network and KUOW correspondent and freelance science reporter Jane C. Hu, The Stranger staff writer Jazz Kymig. Thank you so much for doing the show today. Thanks, Thanks for having us. It was a pleasure. And, you know, we love talking about uh, stuff at the end of the show that makes us smile. Here's something making me smile. We're coming back to the stage in December, our first and only live show of 2021, the KUOW Year in Review. Get your tickets now. Go to KUOW.org events and tell us what's made you happy this year. When you go to KUOW.org events, click the big orange button and you can see how you send in your smile of the year at KUOW.org events. And we hope to see you there at Town Hall.